I, I want to welcome you to today's edition of The Bradley Hall Show. And I am your host, The Bradley Hall. If you or someone you know has recently discovered through an at-home DNA testing kit that one or both of your biological parents are not who you always thought they were, I want you to know that you are not alone. In fact, there's a very large group of people just like you who have connected and bonded over this unique situation. I happen to be one of them. The group is sponsored by an organization called the NPE Friends Fellowship. If you would like more information on how to join this group, please visit my website, www.thebradleyhall.com and look for the free NPE Resources Kit. Simply submit your email and I will send you an email full of links and resources to help you in your journey, including specific instructions on how to find and join the MPE Friends Fellowship. We look forward to sharing your journey with you. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of The Bradley Hall Show. I am your host, The Bradley Hall. My guest today doesn't need much of an introduction in the NPE community. She is the founder of the NPE Friends Fellowship. And after her own emotional NPE revelation in 2017, she was driven to create an emotional support group on Facebook. And the rapid growth of this online community inspired the birth of a non-for-profit organization called the NPE Friends Fellowship. Since 2018, she has appeared on national and international networks, including ABC, NBC, Fox, BBC, and along with me, CBS, as well as numerous publications worldwide sharing her MPE story and raising awareness for the NPE community. Please welcome my friend, Catherine St. Clair. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. It's good to see you again. You too. So today is your three-year anniversary uh, to discovering that you're an NPE. Yep. Three years ago today, the floor fell out from under my feet. Well, um, first of all, I want, I, I want to tell you that I'm honored that I get to celebrate that with you in this fashion. It's kind of <laughs> ironic. <laughs> yeah, it is. I didn't realize when we scheduled this that until this morning, that, oh my gosh, this is the day. So yeah. it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And we're doing this um, because uh, June, we've, we've determined that June is uh, NPE Awareness Month that coincides with uh, your founding of the uh, NPE Fellowship uh, in June, correct? Yes, actually, uh, June, June 27th is the day that the DNA NPE Friends Group was created. The fellowship came after. Okay. Um, but the fellowship actually came about a year after. So it was about, I think it was around June of the, okay. of 2018 that we created the fellowship. Okay. Okay. Great. And I have, um, I, I am putting together a string of these, uh, around, uh, the NP theme and for, the, for the month. Um, I know that, uh, you and I are going to have this discussion today and we're going to release it month. Um, I, I just, I just spoke with Carrie the other day. Um, Paulette has um, two parts. We talked a little more professionally about trauma, and then she talked about her um, NP journey. And uh, I'm, I'm talking to Amy 
Oh, I'm going to have to delete that out. Amy's not public. Okay. Yeah, let's skip over that one. Um, uh, but so I want to I want to release these in in June, and uh, I'm going to advertise them so we can promote promote the month and see if we can't recruit some more members and in, into the group uh, and get the word out a little bit. So I, I'm grateful that you're you're here sharing this experience with me today. So well, I'm thankful the opportunity to get to share it too. Thank you, Brad. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. You're absolutely welcome. Uh, telling our story is part of it, right? Absolutely, it's part of our healing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. So today is your three-year anniversary, and you I think you started off by saying that uh, when the bottom fell out. You want to expand on that a little bit? Well, um, without spending a lot of time talking about my story, I just want to kind of skim over it. Um, my, I'm the youngest of five kids that were uh, born to my parents, and my parents were married 51 years, and very conservative Christian family in Arkansas. And I was their youngest, and then a few years later, when I was a they became foster parents and took in foster children, and one of the foster children they ended up adopting. So I'm number five of six kids now. Um, and for my birthday, on my 55th birthday, I think it was, in 2016, uh, my siblings all got together and chipped in and bought me a DNA test because they knew I was a family genealogist, and I would love to be able to confirm all of the uh, stories of the family of where our family came from confirm the ethnicities and all that um i was real excited about it i couldn't wait to get the test results back and i got them back but i didn't really see anything that jumped out at me other than the fact that all these people that i matched the person at the top of the list was an unfamiliar name and they were under the category of first cousin to close relative um and i i thought well this must just be somebody that's maybe one of my first cousin's children and I've got like 20 something first cousins. So I figured, you know, I don't know all of their kids names. It's probably one of them. And I didn't think anything more about it until um, May 17th of 2017, when I got a notification on my phone that my oldest brother had taken the test and that we matched. Ancestry sent me a, a notification. And so before I even opened it up, I sent him a text and said, hey, I just got a notification that you took the test and we matched. And he responded back and said, I didn't even know the results were back. I said, well, I just got a notification. So then I uh, finished that chat and went into my account. And sure enough, among all my relatives, there's his name. But he was listed as the second person I shared the most DNA with. And this first name, first person who I assumed was one of my first cousin's kids, she was still at the top. And it that was my first sign that something was not right because it didn't make sense to me how my brother, who's the closest relative I have, how could he be somebody I share less DNA with than a total stranger? It didn't make sense. Um, I did more digging. I contacted the uh, testing company to find out if I could put some sort of a note on the relationship so I could confirm to anybody looking at the relationship between my brother and I. I could confirm to them, yes, Ancestry got this right. This is my full brother. And the woman on the other end of this, it was a chat I did online. Uh, the woman on the other end of the chat knew immediately what she was looking at and very gently walked me through and gave me a crash course on centimorgans and how we share centimorgans with our relatives. And the centimorgan is the lab value. And that this many centimorgans uh, is the range for a half sibling and this many is the range for a full sibling. And the whole time she's saying this to me, I'm going, 
that's not even what I ask her. Why is she trying to tell me about half siblings and full siblings? That's not what I asked. I don't understand. And then she pointed me to my brother's profile and said, click on the little icon by his name. It will tell you how many cinema organs you share. She had said that a half sibling shares on average about 1800. And when I clicked on that little icon, it said 1843. And the world stopped spinning at that moment. So you, at, at that, I mean, you figured it out immediately. I mean, you knew immediately. When she said, when she had just got through telling me a half sibling shares on average 1800 yeah. and a sibling shares on average 2600. And I clicked on my brother's name and it said 1843. That number is burned in my brain forever now. And I realized at that moment, oh my God. And even then the denial part of me kicked in and I thought, I typed to her, it says 1843, expecting, truly expecting her to come back and go, oh, but the exception to that rule is this, to explain yeah. it away. And she didn't, she just said, that means he's your half brother. Yeah. So. That's, that, um, that, that's, why, that's why I phrased the question the way I did. Uh, it, it's a common theme, as you well know, that we, we humans have the innate ability to see what we want to see. And even sometimes when the proof is right in front of us, it's difficult because it doesn't line up with the way we want to see it. That that's a hard realization as we get older to realize that we, that, that our perception is, is that powerful. And that, that's why I asked that because I knew it probably at some level, even though it made sense on one hand, it didn't jive with the way you expected it to go. So. Um, right. I've yeah. said in the past, my head could accept it because I have a respect for science, but my heart had a real hard time absorbing yeah, it. I'm sure. Um, so I, uh, I ended the chat quickly, thanked her for her help, tried to go back to the business of work. It was right at noon, picked up a file on my desk and looked at it. And I just stared at it blankly and thought, I can't work. I can't focus on any of this now. And something inside me said, you need to go home. And I picked up my purse and I stood up. And the next thing I remember was standing in my living room. I don't remember walking out of my office. I don't remember getting on the elevator, getting in my car, driving. I don't, I just remember standing in my office with my purse on my arm. And the next thing I remember was standing in my living room with my purse on my arm right after I walked in the door. And um, my little sister has a nurse that takes care of her at my home. And she saw me walk in the door and she was thinking, this is not typical. Catherine doesn't come home this time of day. So she walked into the living room and she saw the look on my face and I could tell by the look on her face, she looked terrified and she said, what's wrong? And I just collapsed. I, I just collapsed. I was, I was a mess. It was, a, yeah. it was a bad. Now, one of the common themes that, that, that we hear uh, sometimes uh, is that, you know, for example, I, I knew I had always suspected at some level. I, I mean, I didn't, I, I, I can't say that I knew that that would be incorrect representation of that. But deep down, I realized once I found out that I had always known, but you didn't have that, did you? No, there was never any hint, never any sign. In fact, of the five siblings I grew up with, this running joke in our family was that our middle brother, Marty, was the milkman's son because the two older kids had blonde hair and blue eyes and fair skin. The two younger kids, me and my brother, were blonde haired. I have hazel, kind of a hazel gold tone eyes. My brother had uh, green eyes. Um, but my middle brother, Marty, is dusky skin, dark curly hair, um, 
and, and the joke was the milkman was a Mexican because Marty could pass as, as Hispanic. Um, so that was always the running joke. And when this happened to me in the past three years, he has brought it up several times and said, I'm still in shock that it wasn't me. I really thought it was going to be me. Yeah. And I'm shocked. And I, I said, Marty, I would have thought it was you too. If it was, if it was anyone, yeah. never me. Yeah. yeah. There were no signs. No hints, no suspicion, nothing. And my, my biological father and his family's names were never mentioned in my home. I had never heard of him before. Okay. Okay. So what has the biggest challenge been for you in, in, in this discovery? Um, that's a good question. I've thought about that a lot the past couple of days. There's been a lot of challenges, obviously. Um, I think that for me... What sets me apart from most NPEs I've, I've met in the past three years is that meeting my, making contact and meeting my new biological family came easier than most. Uh, the, that same day, I reached out to this person I shared DNA with, and she responded immediately and was extremely welcoming and loving and supportive of me and has been ever since. She's my half-sister. Um, <clears throat> she then introduced me to another half sister who's also equally enthusiastic to be a part of my life. And I'm very proud to consider them both my sisters. What surprised me, the biggest challenge I think I've had is my family of origin, the family I grew up with. Um, they're struggling. They're having a really hard time with this. Um, it's, it, it's, I think it has definitely affected my relationship with them and not in a good way. It's, it's kind of sad. And I'm hoping that someday it will get better. It's been three years, but I think that they would have much rather that I'd remain silent and not revealed this to anyone. I think that they are wrapped up in the embarrassment and they are self-conscious of the judgment that's being passed on my mother now, because I have been so vocal and so open and public about it. Um, and I don't think they can get past that. They can't let go of that long enough to see that what matters is that I, this was affecting me and my origins and who I am down to my core. And that's what should matter more than puritanical judgmental embarrassment um, yeah. of, a, of a person who's deceased. I think that that's important to, to note too. I'll be honest with you. If my mother were still alive, would I have been this, this uh, open, this public? Probably not. Yeah. Um, I love my mother very much and I'm very proud of her and I do not pass critical judgment on her on what happened because I wasn't there when it, I, I don't know what she went through right. um, and not my place to judge. And I think that that's what my big goal is with being so public is that I'm hoping that I can help, help the public change the way they think about family secrets, change the way they think about, judging people and the choices that they made, whether they were right or wrong or good or bad. Um, you know, <clears throat> we, none of us make all the right choices. We all make some bonerhead decisions on different things. Um, <clears throat> but it's not our place to judge what other people go through. We don't know what it was like in that era. We don't know what it was like for women in that era. We, we, we can kind of uh, imagine what it's like, but we didn't live it. So I just think it's, uh, that's, that's the biggest challenge for me, I think, is just trying to help uh, everyone understand that they need to set aside 
judgmental attitudes towards other people and the choices they made. And I think that would make a big difference with my family of origin too, if they would be able to get, get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, there, there's, there's two points really that, that come to mind as you're discussing that. And um, the, the first one is, is that I, I'm, I agree with you and almost everyone I've talked to agrees with you that holding people accountable for what happened um, is, is, is not relevant. It, it doesn't really play factor into what's really important in this situation. Right. And I, and my, my mother is still living and my mother thinks that I do hold judgment against her because she's held that, that, she's held that judgment inside her for 47 years with no outlet. And then when it comes back around, she's projecting that internal judgment on me. I couldn't give a shit less what happened 47 years ago. Like you said, I wasn't there. Lord it's knows hard. I made my, my own mistakes. And, and, and I, I mean, I, I've made I've made enough to last a lifetime for anybody. So, that and everyone, and again, not only you, but everyone else I talked to said that that really wasn't, isn't at the forefront uh, of what this is, that, that judgment doesn't count. I, I think for some people it does. Um, but the starting point for us, I think, is that if, if it didn't happen, you and I wouldn't be here. Right. And I have to start from there. There is no, I've heard people say, I wish my mother wouldn't have had an affair uh, because uh, you don't, you don't get that choice. If your mother doesn't have an affair, you're not, you, and, and then you're not the person that your birth certificate father and her would have conceived. It would have been something, someone completely different. So right. for me, that's a starting point that if it hadn't happened, I, I wouldn't be here. And there's a reason I'm here. So that's what we're going to go with. The second thing, and, and Dr. Paulette Bethel and I talked about this uh, a lot and Carrie and I actually talked about this the other day is the impact this has on everyone is often overlooked that our identity is completely right. destroyed. It's just bottomed out. But also my, my sisters now have to grapple with the fact they're my half sisters and right. people don't think that matters, but it does. It does. It does a, a psychological number, which I think is what you were talking about, that your family's having a real hard time struggling, you know, and the perception yeah. they had of your mother and, and all the things that they had neatly packed into what they thought their life was suddenly is distorted and shattered. And that's, that's hard for all of us. Uh, that's hard for all of us. Do you yeah, agree? I agree. I think it's, I completely 100% agree with everything you're saying. Um, I think that for people like your mom, they have been so brainwashed and drilled into their brain and conditioned that judgment has to be a part of your life is just like breathing is. And it's hard for them to take a step back and realize that judgment is a man-made emotion. It's, it's not something that should happen naturally, but it does now because we've been conditioned from childhood that these judgments need to be in place and that they are very valid. And it's only now, I think, with this DNA era that we're able to take a step back and go, okay, let's reevaluate. Why do we judge so much? What is it that makes this such an important element of our day-to-day -day life? And is it healthy? No, it's not. Judgment is toxic. Um, 
so I, I think it's sad because for the older generations, it's even harder for them to let go of conditioning that has been drilled in their heads for 60, 70 years yeah. and, and long. Um, so, you know, my heart goes out to your mom because I know she's struggling. And I also know that, and we've seen this Bradley with our group, haven't we? That people typically initially do not handle shocking information with grace. No. And maybe they fall over themselves and they make a big hot mess of it in the beginning, but eventually they can come around to making peace and healing their family. I, I've, I've used this analogy many times that in a situation with an NPE, when they reach out to the biological father who never knew they existed, for example, um, everybody's just torn up. Everyone's all upset. The biological father's uh, wife and kids are all upset. Everyone's all in a turmoil and they slam the door in her face and say, I don't want anything to do with you and never contact us again. Or they send a letter from an attorney saying, you know, cease and, cease and desist or whatever. But then some time gets, goes by and they calm down and they realize this is our new reality. It's not going away. And then they start losing some of that fear that caused them to react the way they did because that's what it's all based in is fear and then eventually they can salvage and have a good relationship i liken it to a 16 year old girl coming home and announcing she's pregnant and the family goes nuts and they scream and yell and they call her terrible names and she's crumbled on the floor boohooing and you just think there's no way this family's coming back from this this just caused so much trauma and scarring for this young girl um, this is severe damage. But then nine months later, they're all hugging each other and kissing and laughing and passing out cigars and balloons and so happy and falling in love with this new life in their, in their, in their life because they've had eight or nine months to adapt to the idea that there's going to be this person in our life and they're going to be part of our life for the rest of our lives. So they've had this time to adjust to that and then they're able to accept that new person. I, I think it's a lot the same way. There's a lot of... Um, more often than not, people do not handle this surprise information with grace. And I think that's one of the messages I'd like to get out to anybody who's making this discovery is that no matter how rocky it might be in the beginning of this discovery, engaging with family, old family and new family, just know that this is just one chapter in your life. It's not the end. Uh, there's going to be more to this story. And people just need time to adjust to their new reality to accept that this is the way it's going to be now and yeah. they just need time and you've got to give them that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. And it's a great point that people don't handle shocking news gracefully. I think it's a, it's, it's the human reaction to, to defend yourself. It's a whole fight uh, or flight thing. You want, you, you either want to take it head on or you want to run from it. And as the dust settles, we get, you know, we get our, our wits about us and, and, and a very excellent point. I agree with you. So this leads me to the question, if you had to do this all over again, would you, would you, knowing what you know now? I absolutely would. I absolutely would. I would too. Um, I feel like my life has more clarity now than it ever has. It, um, I love movies and I, I use movies a lot as, as uh, uh, learning tools. I liken it to the first scene of the movie, The Matrix, where Keanu Reeves' character is living what looks like a normal mundane life, going through the motions of, of you know, a routine day. And then suddenly and abruptly, the viewer of this movie is shocked because that image of this man just disappeared. And now he's laying on a table with all these wires and leads coming out of him and he's waking up and they're saying, we've got to go. 
and he's realizing that all of that was just an, an illusion. It was just a dream. And what he was waking up for from this is my real life. That's how it felt for me on May 17th, 2017. It's like I crossed over this veil into what reality is. And I'm looking back at my life for the past 56 years. And I'm realizing that was an illusion. This is real. So as shocking and as upsetting as it is, I know who I am now. And that matters more to me than anything. So yes, I would rather live a difficult truth than a comfortable lie. I don't want to live in an illusion. I have more peace of mind now because I know that I can rebuild my life. Even though I felt like I was shattered that day, I have picked up those pieces and rebuilt myself into something that I'm very proud of. And, um, and yes, there's still a lot of elements from my past that's still a part of me. But I like to think that um, I'm trying to turn something that was devastating to me into something beautiful. And I'm kind of proud of myself. I feel like I'm doing that. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I couldn't have said it better uh, myself. You have heard me say that. So you know that I, I agree completely with everything you just said. Um, I, I, I'm right there with you. I'd rather live a difficult truth than, than a comfortable lie myself. I say all the time, I, if I can deal with anything as long as I know what I'm dealing with. And this, this falls into that category for me, for sure. So, all right. So what do you think is the most important thing that you've, you've learned through all this? And I'm sure there are many lessons. I know, you know, it's altered your life in, in many ways, but what do you think is the most important? That judgment has no place in our lives. Um, I think that the majority of the problems that we have is based on um, ignorance, fear, and judgment, and they're all tangled up together. And educating ourselves and learning as much as we can is going to eliminate, it's going to armor us. So we, the armor of education and knowledge um, does more to protect us from the things that we would normally be fearful of. Fear is based out of ignorance. Um, and the fact that we were ignorant to who we were is one of the reasons why it was so devastating for us. So we want to eliminate fear. And the best way to do that is through education. So um, I think that that's one of the most important things that I'm taking from this is that <clears throat> we all need to always want to better ourselves and to learn more about who we are and learn more about what we can do to heal our families. And in doing so, we're not just healing ourselves and our families, we're helping other people who are within earshot of us or rubbing elbows with us at work. And they're seeing this metamorphosis that we're going through and they're thinking, I want to be like that. I want to know more. You know, I admire her because she is reading everything she can read about this subject matter and she is taking it and turning it into something good. Um, so I think education is a really important part of, of what everybody needs to eliminate fear, judgment, uh, the self torment that we put ourselves through. Um, we just need to be constantly looking for ways to better ourselves. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, I mean, I couldn't have said it better. I, I agree with you completely. Um, <clears throat> jumping ahead a little bit uh, of what I wanted to talk about, that, that kind of takes us into the trauma recovery coaching, which, uh, you know, my listeners know that I'm a trauma recovery coach and we I've talked about it with, with Dr. Paulette Bethel, that she's the one that urged me to get into it. Um, but the, there's something special on board for uh, 
for the MPE Friends for the fellowship. And, and uh, do you want to share a little bit of that? Um, yes, the fellowship has partnered with the International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaching, uh, the program that we are using to that you're certified by and Paulette. Bethel has been certified by and that I am also in the process of being certified by. Um, we have found that there's a real serious need in the mental health community for proper training for NPE trauma. And uh, we have partnered with this organization to provide a trauma recovery uh, coaching program that specializes in NPE trauma. Uh, we hope to have it completely rolled out by the end of this year and uh, people who will receive that training will be uh, NPE-TRC uh, after their name, which signifies that they are trauma recovery coaches that are specializing in NPE trauma. Um, I think this is a really important uh, tool that is needed in the uh, mental health community. One thing I've learned is that there are a lot of people who are already much further advanced in the mental health training uh, as uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, um, family therapists, family counselors, who are eager to be involved in this training so that they can help people in our community. So uh, the fellowship is very excited about this. We are working very closely with the people who, are, uh, who have put together this program and uh, making sure that all the important elements are touched on and that uh, and that it is a program that is focused on healing families. It's very important to us that we not only, it's important to us that we not only help the NPE find their peace again, which is the main goal, but it's more than that. If they can't find their peace completely unless they also are able to uh, give that same amount of support to the people who are impacted by their MPE discovery, their siblings, their parents, their children, their cousins, their coworkers, whoever wants to learn more about what they can do to, uh, to help a family that's going through this. Um, I'm just very excited and very proud of this program. I think it's a, a really important step towards uh, recognizing a very uh, valid trauma that has gone ignored for many, many, many years. Yeah, and I, the reason the reason I, I, I skipped ahead uh, was to, to come back to that fact that uh, this this is a traumatic event. I, I, I think, you know, when I first dis discovered this, I, I have a, a friend, a very a very good friend, uh, you know, he, I, I, can, I can count on him for anything. The first thing he said to me, well, he said, well, your dad is, still your dad. So I don't understand what the big deal is, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I say that because he can't, he, can, you know, he, he's outside. He can't comprehend what I'm going through. Um, right. But we, we know we now have a community of 7,000 people. This is, this is very real. This is very traumatic. It is a, is a negative. I shouldn't say it's a negative defining moment because defining moments become what we make them ultimately. But the impact of this is immediately traumatic. Yes. And, um, and I think, I mean, we really need people to understand that. And, and, and I, I, from a basis that even new people coming into the group or whoever, if someone's listening who isn't part of the group or someone's listening who knows someone who's going through this to help them better understand that it's a normal 
response to an abnormal situation, that whatever you're feeling is validated because of the, the, the unnavigated terrain that you find yourself, uh, you find yourself in. And that's why the support with the group, uh, with the, the MPE friends is so important. And the trauma uh, recovery coaching is going to be so important for the, the, this, uh, for the MPEs. Uh, I think it's amazing that, that you're doing this uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it. But more than that, I just want people to know that it's okay that you're dealing with this the way you're dealing with it to seek out other people. And, I, and right. I think most of the people in the group have found, I know for me, when I came into the group, um, it, had, it had been, I, I, it's all a blur. It could have been three months or three days. I don't know how long it had been, but my wife found a, a small blurb in the newspaper. I wish I would have kept it uh, for you, but um, and she said, maybe you should check this out. And I was sitting on the couch. And I said, okay. And uh, once I got into the group, there's a, you know, there's a process, a vetting process to get in for obvious reasons. Once I got in, I just, I think at that time, <laughs> there were 320 people in the group or something. I, I don't know. And we're uh, in, we're now what, 7,200? Almost 7,300. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. And uh, I, I, I'm coming up on my it's my two-year anniversary. I don't know. Time's getting away from me. But I immediately found I, I was all alone. I was isolated. I thought I was the only person in the world who had just discovered this whole thing. And I came into a group where there was automatically, at that time, I was like, wow, there are 300 people in here that are going through the same thing. And now it's, wow, there are 7,300 people in here that are going through the same thing. And that in itself was unbelievably therapeutic. I didn't yes. know any of the people, but I felt supported because we were all in the same in the same boat. It validates us. When you find out that there are other people who are normal people who have normal jobs and normal responsibilities, and they are not lunatics and they are not uh, you know, the the scrunge of society or whatever. And it, it, these are people you pass in the grocery store or at church, and then you realize I'm not crazy. I'm not a freak. I'm just as normal as everybody else. And it's happening in all these other families too. So it, it's a huge comforting validation. I, I yeah. find that too. Every time I go, it takes my breath away when I look at the numbers. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I you know, still love reading people's. Good. I was just going to say, you made me think of something when you were talking just a minute ago that I wanted to share. <clears throat> Our group had only been in existence maybe a month or less. We didn't have very many members at that time. Maybe, I don't know, a couple hundred, maybe a hundred. Um, I remember one day, one of the members posted one question and the question was, is it okay to be angry? And I read that and I just, I'm, I don't cry easily, but when I saw that question, I just burst into tears when I saw it because I thought, oh my gosh, we don't even know if it's okay for us to feel the emotions we're feeling. That's right. We're that's right. It's okay for us to feel the way we're feeling. There's no playbook. Part. There's no playbook. Right. It, there's nothing to compare it to. There's no yeah. no other thing in our childhood. You know. Oh yeah, I remember somebody somebody else that went through that. Like for example, when I said that about a teenage girl being pregnant, that may be traumatic and upsetting for a family, but they can immediately relate to. Well, that happened in the Smith family, or that happened in the Johnson family, and and they turned out okay. We didn't have anything like that. We didn't know anyone. So we didn't know that it was okay to feel angry or to feel hurt or to feel upset or to feel confused. I, I know those first 
few days of my emotions being all over the place, I was thinking, I'm making much too much out of this. I probably shouldn't be making so much out of this. And then I go, but it hurts. It really hurts. And I don't understand. And I need to understand. And it wasn't until the group was created and more and more people came in that I was feeling more validated that, yeah, I was, I had every right to feel the way I feel. Everyone else is feeling this right. too now. That's right. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and when I said a minute ago that we don't have a playbook, that's exactly what, with the trauma recovery coaching, that's exactly what you're trying to create is some type of a playbook and, and additional resources right. for people to, to seek out assistance in their own personal healing, because this is, this is a journey. You know, I had, uh, I, I had, a, a one of our people the other day reach out to, to me and, um, she said, when is this, when is this going to end? And she told me a story about, uh, her mother and, and kind of that whole thing and, and the family that involves her MPE status. And, uh, I just, I just told her, I said, it, it's not, it's not going to end. I mean, this is your life. This is the only thing you can do is develop better tools to handle these situations and to slowly change how you, right. how you perceive things and, and how you interact with what's going on. Um, and I think that's important for people to know. And that's what the trauma recovery coaching, uh, is, is going to be designed to do, to offer more support. Yes. So, okay, well, let's lighten up a little bit. I know you're a big movie buff. The Matrix is actually one of my favorite movies because it's so <laughs> prophetic and philosophically deep. The more, the more you watch it, the more you get out of it. Uh, and they're, mm -hmm. they're working on a fourth one. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's simultaneously, uh, recording, um, the, the John, Wick, the, the fourth John Wick film and the matrix four, he's working on them simultaneously. So have you watched any of the John Wick movies? No, I haven't. Now I want to though. They're violent but they're, they're really good. He does an amazing job. He trains so hard for them. Keanu Reeves is just one of my favorite, He's favorite actors. Actor. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Favorite MP story, movie or book that you, uh, that you want to uh, share with our listeners. Well, the first one that pops in my head is the thorn birds. It was a made for TV mini series. That was four episodes. Uh, that's 10 hours long. I think the first and fourth episode are three hours and the second and third one are two hours starring um, Richard Chamberlain and Rachel Ward. It's a phenomenal story. They have two NPEs in it. Um, and it's interesting because that was a movie I loved for years before I ever found out I was an NPE myself. And now that I am aware of my own origins, it's amazing how I can go back and watch all these different stories that have NPE storylines and I see them completely different now than I did then. It's, it's an interesting study in self-reflection um, to remember how these storylines impacted me before and how they impact me now. Um, and it also makes me a lot more compassionate to people who aren't going through this because I can forgive them a lot easier when they say things like, well, it shouldn't matter. Or, you know, what's the big deal? He's still your dad, like, like your friend did. I can, I can forgive them a lot faster because I think, you know what? I felt the same way before this happened to me. I would have said the same thing you just said. Yeah. So, um, oh, there was a couple of MPE storylines in the TV series, Brothers and Sisters, that I think the writers could have handled better. They did handle some elements of them well. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing more TV stories and movies that come out with these MPE storylines and showing an example of the better ways 
for a family to work through these surprise discoveries. I'm looking forward to those stories coming out, but I yeah. haven't seen them. Yet. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting point. And, uh, I, I'm sure, I'm sure it's on the table. Uh, you know, this is a relatively new phenomenon. Uh, that'd be interesting to see how, uh, how Hollywood treats that for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Let's shift gears a little bit. I'd like to talk a little bit okay. more about the NPE fellowship. This concludes part one of my interview with Catherine. Uh, be sure to tune in next week and check out our discussion as we discuss the NPE Friends Fellowship and discuss of what's in the works, what we can look forward to uh, to come from the fellowship. If you'd like instant notifications when part two is released, please subscribe to the podcast or uh, to my YouTube channel. We'll look forward to seeing you then.